American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. In the aftermath of the Great Strike of 1877, in the aftermath of the failure of the Knights of Labor, a more apolitical kind of trade unionism really develops. And it's most exemplified by the founder of the American Federation of Labor, the AFL, Samuel Gompers. Now, Gompers had been born in 1850 to a family of Dutch Jews. But like Andrew Carnegie, he had moved to America as a young person at the age of 14 and started work. As a young man, Gompers was involved in radical politics. But as he grew older, in the cigar, as a cigar maker in New York City, he became interested less in abstractions like that offered by the Internationale of Karl Marx and more about uh, everyday working conditions in New York City, about wages and hours and safety. These formed his so-called bread and butter, pure and simple ideas of unionism. After 1877, he saw the passion and the fury of workers dissipated, coming to nothing. And he thought this was because workers were largely unorganized. And he wanted to reorganize them on what he called a business basis, to give them the same kind of organization that capital itself was having in this period. This new business organized union would collect dues, would supply funds during strikes, and would only undertake strikes and other kinds of actions that would result in practical benefits for workers. That strikes that could be won, and not utopian strikes like that undertaken by the Knights of Labor, trying to overthrow capitalism itself. In Gomper's view, unions should be part of capitalism, not a means towards an end of some future utopian society. What mattered was the here and now, unions that would provide actual tangible benefits for its membership. For Gomper's, it wasn't important to have political power. It wasn't important to seize the state through political action, like it had been for the Knights of Labor. For Gompers, real power flowed from economic power, from organizing workers and making demands on employers. This is what mattered to him. In 1886, after a series of rather unsuccessful uh, organizations that tried to bring workers together after the Knights of Labor collapsed, he formed the American Federation of Labor which was not a unitary organization. It was a federated organization. Instead of it being top-down, it was bottom-up. So the Cigar Workers Union, which he was a part of, would be part of and basically own the American Federation of Labor rather than the other way around. The American Federation of Labor was committed to practical actions. And so even in the aftermath of Homestead in 1892, he still envisioned a possible future for unions, even though it looked so bleak in the aftermath of that bloody strike. He was focused on small-scale organizing without invoking the power of the state. And so a lot of the issues that he was confronting came together in the Pullman strike of 1894. The Pullman strike of 1894 was a reaction against the Pullman car company cutting the wages of its workers. Now, this story isn't so odd. We've heard it a few times over the last several lectures. But what's interesting about this one is that all the workers for the Pullman Company lived in Pullman, a town called Pullman. They shopped at 
Pullman shops. They went to church at Pullman churches. They lived in Pullman houses. So when their wages were cut and the company didn't reduce the prices anywhere else, they couldn't cover their bills. They went on strike, a wildcat strike. And into this moment steps uh, one of America's great labor history figures, Eugene V. Debs. Eugene V. Debs had recently formed an organization called the American Railway Union. And he saw this strike as an opportunity to really radicalize workers in America and recapture that spirit of 1877. Workers across the country supported the Pullman workers. Pullman made cars, railroad cars, that were attached to every train in the country. Workers everywhere refused to couple or decouple them from trains, basically stopping all train traffic in America in just one month. Debs saw this as a way to bring about radical change, to bring about this inclusive um, union that the Knights of Labor had tried in 1877 to accomplish, bringing about skilled and unskilled workers together. Now, he wasn't going to include small business owners, but it still was much more inclusive than what Gompers had envisioned with a narrow craft union basis of just skilled workers. Now, of course, when all the trains in America were stopped, the government noticed. And so the federal government, in keeping with its rhythms of these decades, decided to send in federal troops to break up the strike, and in fact, put Debs in jail. Now, Debs called on Gompers as the leader of the American Federation of Labor to intervene, to call for a general strike. That is, workers all across the country, in every industry, rising up on strike against this intervention by the federal government. And Gompers knew that he had two choices. On the one hand, he could strike and cast his lot with these radical ambitions. Or on the other hand, he could say no. He could say no. And in fact, that's what he did do. He said no. He knew that a general strike was not a confrontation with an employer. It was not a way to advance wages and hours for workers that he wanted to represent. It was a confrontation directly with the idea of capitalism itself, directly with the state that supported capitalism. And he knew that in the face of the army, there was nothing that the workers could do. Debs went to prison. He became a hero to labor across the country. But in the end, it was the American Federation of Labor that continued to exist. And the American Railway Union was broken. The strike was not successful in the end but the American Federation of Labor was. Gompers continued to organize workers and carry on strikes successfully, representing workers in various kinds of skilled industries. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't utopian. It didn't redress all the grievances of the inequality of industrial capitalism. But it did provide for an organized way for laborers to come together to confront that newly organized capital. By the turn of the century, then, you have two great organizations representing this new kind of order. On the one hand, the American Federation of Labor, and on the other hand, U.S. Steel. Both are incredibly organized. Both are incredibly centralized. Both are incredibly bureaucratized. And both represent the way in which capitalism is now not about broad, small-scale producers competing in markets but about large institutions addressing other large institutions. 
the AFL and the US Steel represent a new moment of what historians call monopoly capitalism, where very few companies control industries. There's very little competition, and yet there is tremendous gains in productivity, tremendous gains in the meaning of capitalism itself. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Thank you.